0: Behold, a day is coming for the Lord, and the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city and the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the Mount shall be northward, and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains. For the valley of the mountain shall lead to Azel, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with On that day there shall be no light, cold or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord neither day nor light. But at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer, as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one, and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Gaba to south after Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hanuman to the king's winepresses. And it shall be inhabited, but there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples. That wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of the one would be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight for Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected gold, silver, and diamonds, and of abundance. And a plague like this plague shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and whatever beasts may be in those camps. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. And to keep the feast of birds. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be a plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of birds. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of booths. And on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord, and the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. This is the way to go. Hey everyone, just to finish the book of Zechariah today with you, chapter 14. Um, One of the images that's very clear from chapter 14 is the image of a battle or a war. So we're going to be sort of thinking about um, this passage through that lens of battle and war. And it kind of makes you. I'm thinking, like, it, like, do you think about your life as a battle, or a war, or a fight? Uh, maybe maybe you used the language this morning when you thought it was a battle to get out of bed this morning and get to church at nine. Or I spoke to a parent who used the word oh, it's like a battle when I talk to my teenage child these days. They're always so grumpy, and it's hard to fight. One of the images that the Bible used to describe the Christian life, just like Sam read, is actually it's a war. It's not just that part of our life will be difficult sometimes, but it's actually that um, every part of our whole life is a battle. It's a war, not against flesh and blood like Ephesians 6 says, but it's a battle against the spiritual forces of evil in this world. And you and I, that is... Are actually engaged in warfare, and it's all consuming. And um, I was reading a diary entry from a soldier in World War One, and it was—he um, was writing about how he was one night sitting in the trenches in the dark, and he was talking to his best friend next to him, and he was saying how you know when the war's over, and all these dreams of i going to marry this particular girl going to get this particular job, I'm going to take up all these hobbies, but right now I can't think about it because we have a war. And he was just kind of telling his friends these things, and his friend wasn't saying anything, and so he thought he'd fall asleep, so he sort of reached over, this was in the dark, and eventually he felt the bullet off in his friend's head. And so he during the night, when had got shot, they didn't realize. When you think about sort of physical war, it's it's kind of very tangible, very real, and it's all consuming. You don't have time to think about anything else, and that's how the scriptures describe the life as one of God's people. And Zechariah is a part of that, um, part of the scriptures which help us to get ready. For that battle so that we are prepared as we can be, because we know that the Lord Jesus is coming back very soon. So we want to be ready for the battle that we are in right now. And so what I'm going to do is we come into this text in Zechariah chapter 14, I'm going to ask for God's help, because this battle is unseen. It's spiritual by nature, so we need his help. So let's pray. We come before you today, and we know that we are in the midst of a war—a war that wages against our very souls. And so, we do pray for your Spirit to be at work as we listen to Zechariah chapter fourteen. Help us to be equipped and ready for this battle. That we may persevere till the end. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well done, everyone. You made it to the end of Zechariah. Um, I know I've got a lot out of Zechariah, but I know it's been uh, challenging. There's been some language and some pictures and some ideas that have been quite hard to grasp. So, well done for getting it to the end. Um, basically, the, the book finishes by filling out that idea: of what the day, the final day, that last day is going to look like. And it was introduced last week in chapters 12 and 13, and it's going to keep going today, but there's more as battle imagery comes to the front in chapter 14. So um, chapter 14, as we think about this battle, I thought we do things slightly differently as we approach this text. Usually we we'll go start at verse 1 and I've like worked the way through. Um, today, I thought we'd go a bit more thematically, And where I'd like to begin is actually giving us a picture of what life is going to be like when the war is over, when the war is over. Because the passage is littered with images of life for both God's people as well as God's enemy when the war is finished. Now, I was reading these images um, this week, and I kept reading them, and I realized that I kind of get the images but at the same time, I did not get the images. And I'll show you what I mean by that. mean, um, you start with life um, after the war is over for the people of God. You'll notice there that these images are almost too um, big and glorious to actually get into it. So come with me for example, come with me to chapter 14 and verse six. This is describing life for God's people after the war is over. On that day there shall be no light, cold or frost. And there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem, out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. And it shall continue in summer as in winter. You read these descriptions, and I'm sure your mind is bigger than mine. it like to not have day and night? That's what we have. What's it like that summer is basically the same as winter? Um, we don't know what that experience is like because we have summer and we have winter. I think what Zechariah is doing is he's painting a picture of the new heavens and the new earth, which is way more glorious than you and I could ever imagine. It's beyond our scope of our imaginations. That's what Zechariah is purposely doing. And he doesn't get at the end of the chapter. If you come down to verse 20, he says this, On that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses holy to the Lord, and the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar, and every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all we sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them, and there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the of host on that day. So the new heavens and the new earth are going to be so perfect and so free from sin that even the most common things, pots, and the bells that hang on horses will be so holy and pure just like God itself. And I kind of get that. My small mind again goes, wouldn't it be great to live in a new heaven new earth where there's just no sin anywhere to be found? But at the same time, that's just so outside of our experience. And what does it mean? What does it look like to actually have no sin at all in this new creation? It's almost, it's just beyond the scope of my imagination sometimes I, I talk to my wife and I ask God, and I kind of go, you yeah, know, what do you think our relationship would be like in heaven? Because there's no human marriage in heaven. We're all married to the Lamb, Jesus. Like, do you think we'll recognize each other in heaven? We kind of pass each other on the streets of heaven and think, oh, I didn't know that person. so familiar. Um, the point is, it's actually beyond our ability to comprehend just how marvelous and just how glorious the new creation is going to be for those who stick with God. In contrast, if the new creation is too good to imagine the God's people, the God's enemies, the judgment of God will be even worse than you can possibly So again, you look the opposite way. For God's enemies come with me to verse 12. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. Flesh rotting while they stand; Eyes rotting in their sockets. Tongues rotting in their can kind of grasp the horror of those images, but at the same time, um, the judgment over God's enemies is too horrible to actually capture in words. Hell is too horrific to ever capture in words. And so friends, these are the two features of stake for God's people. One, new creation, two glorious to imagine, and one judgment, too horrific, to imagine. And that is the battle that takes place in light of that future. So come with me then as we have a look at what kind of battle is going to actually take place before that day comes. Chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord, when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. The future days for God's people in this chapter will be a day of great battle. And I'm sure you felt uncomfortable hearing those descriptions of plunder and rape. But I think Zechariah is giving us this horrific language because he wants to make it very clear that for God's people, life is not just going to be challenging sometimes. You are not just going to have difficult moments in your life. You follow the king and your life will be engaged in a war. Each day that you step down and wake up each morning, the devil is looking for a human to draw you away from Christ. God's people will have a life characterized by hate and hostility and conflict and the But what I want you to notice is that as soon as those two verses happen, verse 3 very clearly takes over. And this is actually the bit I want us to focus on a bit more. I mean, if you come to um, verse 3, you'll notice that all of a sudden the Lord enters. Verse 3, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward, and you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach that And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah King of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with you. Did you can get the flow of what happens almost as soon as the battle overwhelms the people of God, the Lord himself steps in and he enters the battle. And he comes down, do you notice, on the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives, um, if you think about Jerusalem and the temple, the Mount of Olives was the mountain um, overlooking Jerusalem. And it's a significant sight because during the exile, in Ezekiel chapter 11, um, we looked at Ezekiel. Zegel, don't know if you remember it, The glory of God departed from the temple and came to stand on the Mount of Olives. So fast forward many years now, the exiles come back. And God is promising that in that very place, the Mount of Olives, he will come down and fight for his people. And what is being promised when that happens the Lord will come down and cause the Mount of Holies to split in two to provide a way of escape for his people. Now, that language of split in two does that kind of ring a bell from a part of the Old Testament? Um, Exodus, if you remember, God split the Red Sea in two and allowed the people of God to flee just And so what Zephariah is doing is he's using language from the Exodus to say that in the future, on that day, will be an even greater Exodus for God's people. He will provide a way of escape, and it will happen at the Mount of Olives. Friends, why else is the Mount of Olives significant? because when the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus died and he rose again, he came to appear to his disciples at the Mount of Olives before he ascended to heaven. And the angel said, Jesus is going to come back in the same way. And so as people of the risen King Jesus, we await the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus on that final day. And Zechariah 14 makes it clear clear first that for those people who are belonging to the risen king, that we are engaged in serious warfare. And each time that you send your children to school, Satan is looking for an opportunity to convince them that the word of God is unclear or it's untrue. Every time that you feel tired, Satan is looking for an opportunity to make you bitter against other people. Every time you feel full of energy and feel like life's going well, Satan is looking for an opportunity to distract you away from Christ. There's no rule book for Satan. Any and every opportunity that Satan will take, he will take to draw you away from and this is the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. But friends, if there is one emphasis in Zechariah, if there is one weapon that Zechariah calls us to use more than anything in this particular part of the Scriptures, it is surely the weapon of prayer. For do you notice how much the people of God actually fight in Zechariah 14? The answer is... Nothing. They don't fight at all. The only thing they do is they flee through the means of escape that God Himself provides. So, friends, if God is the one who fights for us, how are you using the weapon of prayer to fight this battle? Not just using prayer as kind of the privilege that we have to talk to God. How much are you weaponizing prayer in the daily battle against the evil forces of this world? Are you praying for your own soul each day that He will not get a foot hold in your life? Are you praying for your spouse or your friends that they would stay, that they would have self-control granted to them, to free from the temptations that would draw them away from Jesus? Do you daily pray for your children? That when they step foot in school, not that they would just have some in school, but actually that they would be so grounded in the Bible that they would seek to live for Jesus and not for the world. How much is prayer the weapon friends, the final section of Zechariah 14 and the book itself um, actually shifts a little bit. It actually moves away from war and it moves towards worship and celebration. And one thing that I want us to be very clear about is that in this final section, it's not just the survivors of the war that get to live with God. And these people—it's actually the survivors also from the nations. So come with me to verse sixteen. Zechariah says, "Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of Hosts, and to keep the feast of booths." And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on then, there shall be no rain, there shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of booze. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of Some of God's enemies, in God's mercy and his kindness, will turn from enemy to friend, will turn from war with God to worshipper of God. Did you notice there that these survivors will join in worship of God, in particular, to celebrate the Feast of Booths, So notice the Feast of Booths gets mentioned at least three times in that chunk. So I'll turn from enemy to worshipper, and they all partake in the Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Booths was one of the kind of the milestone celebrations of the people of God along with the Passover, and what it commemorated in part was when Israel were on their way to the promised land, and they lived in sort of temporary kind of booths I guess. And it happened at the end, and I'm sure we're all familiar with dying, but I'll just explain it. it. happened at the end of the agricultural year, where they bring in all the harvest of wheat and grapes and the world. And so Zechariah is using that festival because he's saying that on that final day, the survivors, not just from God's people, but from all the nations, will them come and be gathered in like a great harvest they come to become worshippers of God, from war to worship. When well, I was um, 18 years old, first year of university, my uh, sister invited me to a mid-year Christian conference, and I ran from Monday to Friday, and it cost $250. And my first thought—I wasn't a Christian at the time—and I thought, "Why would I spend two hundred and fifty dollars to read the Bible for a week? It just didn't make sense." But my sister insisted I go. My parents even said, well, I'll just "Look, I need you to get out of the house for a week." So I reluctantly went along. And as expected, the first two days of this conference, I hated it. I hated it because if you've ever been to these things. This schedule of every day is like wake up, Bible study, break, Bible seminar, break, Bible collective, dinner, Bible talk, You you just think, why did I spend my university break going to study and pay $250? But in God's finest, like Thursday night, I didn't want to go because God had used his word to show me that I was an enemy of him, that I had actually deeply sinned against him, but in the death of his son, I could go from enemy to friend. And that Thursday night, we were in that talk, I gave my life to Jesus, and I just didn't want to go. War to worship. As we... Finish the book of Zechariah, um, chapter 14 leaves us with a very clear picture. The final day is coming when God's enemies will be destroyed and God's people will reign in a new creation more glorious than any of us could possibly imagine. But it also gives us a picture that God's enemies will be destined to a life of judgment more horrible you could imagine. And so it really leaves us with this question as we've been wrestling with this time and time again, but it asks us: will you be at war with God today, or will you become a worshiper of God? Will you be an enemy of God, or will you be a friend? Because there's nothing middle when it comes to worshiping the king. Jesus, the king, he wins either way. He conquers regardless. And he either conquers you with a plague of destruction, or he conquers you with his grace. And so really the invitation that we want to extend is that you would be conquered by his grace and not his judgment. So will you submit, if you have not already To his kinship, turn away from your sins and come and look forward to that glorious future which will be even more glorious than you can possibly imagine. Father, we thank you that in the death and resurrection of Christ the battle has begun. We thank you that there is victory. Father, help us to see that our life is indeed in the midst of a conflict now, that we would not take life lightly, but that each day um, Satan, the flesh, and the world is looking for an opportunity to draw us away from Christ. So we pray, Father, as um, prayer is our weapon against the battle, we pray, Father, that you would give us the strength to keep fighting for Christ that we would keep sharing the gospel. And we pray that in your kindness, you may bring your enemies to come and worship you our final And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.